Titus 1, and um, we'll go ahead and start from verse 1 there, but we'll, the main text will be verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due time manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would meet with us tonight as we open up your word. Lord, speak to hearts. And uh, Father, I pray that my thoughts would be, uh, would be clear. Uh, help me to just say what you'd have me to say tonight. And Lord, I, I do ask uh, for the filling and leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit this evening. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Been excited about uh, studying this um, this book of the Bible as we started our study in the book of Titus, and um, uh, you know one of the things that's been on my heart as I shared on Sunday is uh, is I just so greatly desire revival um, in our church, in our homes, in our lives, and uh, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we start thinking about this thing of revival and and the implications of it. And, and we almost get defensive, like, what do you think? I'm not walking with God. What do you think? I'm not revived, you know. But uh, the reality is how quickly we get complacent. And uh, as the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And how we need a stirring. And, uh, and I think as we look at this text, I think this is going to be really foundational for such a stirring as we look at this. If you remember uh, Titus, uh, Paul had left Titus there in Crete. Uh, for the purpose of ordaining elders in every city. Uh, there was probably roughly a uh, hundred um, decent-sized cities, a hundred churches spread out across Crete there. They had several major port cities, which became very strategic. If, if you think about it from a strategy standpoint, for Paul, that was pretty wise to, uh, to go and try to strengthen that because there was a lot of trade and commerce hitting these main port hubs. And, um, and so, uh, so Paul is setting Titus there, because some of these churches are a mess. Now, we don't know where these churches started for sure. We do know that Paul and Titus spent some time there in Crete and no doubt uh, witnessed to people and saw people saved, I'm sure. Um, there were some people in that area that were there present at the day of Pentecost, some strangers um, um, that were uh, uh, from the various regions. If you go through the list there, you'll find that there were some that were come all the way back to Crete. And, um, and so maybe some of them start churches. I believe that's how the churches in Rome were started, from the strangers at Rome that were there at the day of Pentecost, because no apostle had been to Rome uh, at that time. That's why Paul so desired to be there. But a part of that, consequently, there was churches that were started with, with, with poor leadership. So what ended up happening is, the, is uh, there were Jewish brethren that were, well, some of them maybe weren't brethren as far as we would define it, but uh, that had taken up leadership in these churches and caused a lot of problems, a lot of issues. So Paul sent Titus to go to Crete uh, for the twofold purpose. One, to set in order some things. And that's what we're titling the series, to set in order some things, because how quickly we get out of order or disorderly, as, as Paul uh, challenged the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, let all things be done decently and in order. And, uh, and so uh, how quickly we get out of order, if you don't believe me, uh, all you got to do is do a, uh, uh, just do a search online of the various churches in our community, and you're going to see some things out of order. Uh, churches across uh, the country, uh, you'll see some things out of order. Anything from, well, that makes, you know, that's kind of uncomfortable, I don't feel like that's something godly, to blasphemy <laughs> and everything in between. I mean, there are churches that are flat out blaspheming the Word of God. Okay, and uh, and the God Himself, uh, based on the things they say and do, and um, and so so it's 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 not un you know it's not it shouldn't be a shocking thing that God would send someone to go and try to straighten up some things, and to say, listen, you guys are drifting here, or there's a bad spirit there, or there was uh, some legalism creeping in here, or or uh, uh, you know, or um, uh, as as Jude addressed, um, lasciviousness going on over here. We have every different. Uh, you know, I call them uh, ditches. You know, there's always a ditch on either side of the road, and you can get caught up into this one, or you can get caught up into that one. And and uh, the key in the Christian life, of course, is balance. But um, but really important. Some uh, some of the things that are going to be addressed here, and we'll, we'll we'll get into it in a minute. But one of the main um, uh, deities, if you would, 
from Crete was Zeus himself. Now, if you know uh, Greek mythology, Zeus was like the chief god. He was the, the main one. And he was a rascal. Uh, he was a trickster. He, um, uh, he was a liar. He didn't keep his promises. He, um, he was a seducer. Uh, he had illegitimate children uh, in their theology, one of which, well, anybody know a notable one? Hercules, yes, Hercules, absolutely. And so, uh, uh, good job on your um, on on your uh, paganism, yeah. No, <laughs> no, on your Greek mythology, okay. But uh, but let's look at this. Let's dive into our text here. So that's a little bit of the background. We talked about that more in depth last week. But um, it, so so we start off. Apostle Paul introduces himself. We spend a lot of time on the emphasis of him being a servant of God. Right? He's coming in, and, and no doubt he's put his stamp of approval on Titus as the apostle of Jesus Christ, sending him to Crete to accomplish what he sent him there to accomplish. But, so so it would be very easy for, for him to give a, a good authoritative letter to Titus to say, hey, if anybody has any questions, just read him this letter. But he starts it off with, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant. And we looked at that word, it, it means a bond slave, a, uh, an actual slave, not just, oh, I serve somebody. Uh, a table waiter, like the word deacon, but a slave, a servant, is a different word altogether. And, um, and uh, you know, so we talked about that, but, but the, the emphasis I want to put here as we transition into the next two verses is, how, uh, is what it says, uh, the last phrase, to the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. Now, when you acknowledge the truth after godliness, you've come to the acknowledgement of the truth. Folks, that is salvation. That's when you've come to that place of acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, that He has died for your sins. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that uh, God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the acknowledgement of the truth. Well, it leads us to, first of all, hope in God's plan. Look at, uh, look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The hope of God's plan. This hope is based on the fact that, that, that Paul had acknowledged the truth, and anyone who, puts, who acknowledges this truth or puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has this hope of eternal life. Now think about that just for a minute. As we talk about, even, even as I talked about, mentioned revival and wanting God to stir our hearts, uh, we need to often come back to this thing. The hope of eternal life. The fact that He saved us, that He's pardoned us of all of our sins, uh, gave us a right standing with Him. And uh, listen, that ought to stir us. That ought to draw us, knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, Romans 2. And so this, uh, this ought to change us. It ought to draw us to Him. But it's based on this acknowledgement of truth. Because Paul had trusted in Christ, he moved to the truth of the hope that we who all trusted in Christ all have. And so the first aspect of this hope is uh, the, the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. It's an encouraging hope. The word hope in the Bible, you know, it's not sitting here thinking, oh, you know, I, I hope I have eternal life. My fingers are crossed. I just really, by the way, can I, can I tell you, there are lots and lots of people under the umbrella of Christendom that would explain their salvation as, I, I hope. I hope I'm saved. Not the biblical hope that we're going to talk about, but, you know, I, I think I've, I, I'm trying hard. I think I've done enough. I was talking to a Lutheran minister uh, once, and that's what he had said. I hope I've done enough. And, uh, and, and he said, I'm doing my best. I'm like, your best still falls short of the glory of God. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All of our righteousnesses, all of our best uh, filthy rags. And so listen, religion doesn't save you. It's that acknowledgement of the truth, uh, which is after godliness. And so this hope, is whenever you see hope in the Bible, it's, it's the idea of an expectation of good. It's a confident, divine expectation, really, based on the unchanging promises of God. How God, when He makes a promise, He doesn't change His mind. And, 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 uh, and so, so the idea is this, that we've taken God at His word, and it's produced a hope in us. We call the rapture, the, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ, the blessed, what? Hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, why is it a blessed hope? It's like, you know, by the way, if it was the guessing game, like fingers crossed, I hope so, it wouldn't be a blessed hope. 
It'd be a wishful hope. But a blessed hope is this idea that I'm filled with this desire and this expectation that he is coming. Paul talked about uh, uh, in his last will and testament, 2 Timothy, he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is later for me a crown of righteousness, but not to me only, but to all them who what? Love his appearing. What is that love is appearing? It's hopeful. It's I'm expecting, I know he's coming. Because if, 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 if it's just sort of a guessing game, then, you know, it's, it's a hope. This is the biblical concept of hope. It's a near kin to faith. Faith is believing in, 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 in him. Hope is believing in what he has said, what he has given to us, what he has uh, uh, shown us, if you would, through his word. Romans 5.2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Listen, why would you, re- if it's a guessing game, why would you rejoice prior? You see, it's re- rejoicing in the hope itself. If you have this hope in you, this hope of eternal life, you can rejoice in that as though it's a done deal. Because as far as God is concerned, it is a done deal. If God has spoken it, it will come to pass. So we, this is a very, this is an encouraging hope, uh, this get, this hope of eternal life. But it's also um, uh, uh, the gift. I just want to bring to uh, the the hope into what this gift of eternal life. Eternal life is a gift, folks. He talked about the acknowledgement of the truth, which is after godliness, not this list of things I've done, not this accomplishment that I have made, but the acknowledgement that it is the gift. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Uh, do a search for every time gift shows up with, with this concept of salvation. By the way, grace, especially in that context, you know, some have said that grace is unmerited favor. Well, that sounds like a gift, right? Isn't that the definition of a gift? What did you do for that? Nothing. How much did you pay for it? Nothing. It was gifted me. So, so how many times has God, it's funny in that passage, God says the same thing in three different ways, right? I think it's three or four. For by grace, gift, unmerited, are you saved through faith, not of yourselves? You didn't do it. It is a gift of God, not of works. There it is, four times. Let's stay in both. You see? And so, so how many times does he say, you didn't do it, you didn't do it, you didn't do it? I was corrected um, on Sunday uh, uh, by uh, Brother Maurer. I love those that will nitpick my theology. And, and he said, uh, he said you, you made an emphatic statement that we are not saved by works. He said, that is incorrect. We are not saved by our works. And I was thinking, you know, at first I was thinking, well, that's kind of nitpicky. But I started chewing on it a little bit, and I was like, what a distinction. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Meaning there is a work of righteousness that's involved, but not which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. Because we have such a hard time wrapping our mind around something of this magnitude being a free gift. And if we emphasize, oh, there's works, just not mine. Then we can understand, oh, that's how payment was made. Folks. I was raised in church, and it wasn't until I was 19 years old, I had to leave home and join the army until I realized this concept of substitutionary uh, death of Christ, that he took my place. I understood the facts of the death, burn, resurrection. I understood all this stuff, but I just missed this simple truth that, it was, uh, that, it, that he took my place. He was my substitute. Well, this, I think, emphasizes that. Well, it's not our works, but it's his works. He did it all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. So this hope of eternal life, this gift of eternal life, it's a personal hope. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, In whom also you trusted, after that you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. It's personal. It's your salvation. In whom after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit is the, the seal that has been put upon us because of our salvation, and it is the, 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 the um, 
inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession until God comes and takes that. Uh, uh, people have uh, uh, rightly said like an earnest is like a down payment and, and, and we become God's possession. He's going to come and take that thing. But it's interesting how it says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I love it. You know, in the old days, um, even in this time period and even, and even further back, when a king would make a decree or a law or something, he would sign that thing and he would uh, dip a bunch of uh, wax uh, uh, onto the paper and he would take his insignia on his ring and he would press that in there. And it had the king's seal. It was done. It was settled. And you can't tamper with that. It had the king's seal. Folks, God gave us his seal in the Holy Spirit. This one is mine. This salvation has come to this one. It's a personal hope. Through Jesus Christ, our hope. This hope is only through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 5.22 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. There is a returning hope. Titus 2.13, we'll see in a few weeks, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This hope is uh, the fact that He is coming. And by the way, I know every generation has said this. I don't know if you've seen the news lately. How can it not be our generation? Folks, that ought to stir us. That ought to move us. I remember uh, it was actually around the time of the pandemic. I started seeing so much stuff going on worldwide. I started getting a stirring. And I said, we got to get back to the, the, the Father's business. Um, time is short. Yet I remind you, I know I, I keep beating this drum. But the only reason God is holding back his wrath on this world is in hopes of more people to be saved. That's what Peter said. Yeah, after he got done talking about how all this is going to burn with a fiery heat, he said, where is the promise of his coming? And he said, hold on now. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, talking about the end times, but is long-suffering to usward, not only that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's long-suffering, holding back, burning all this up, is to usward, because he wants less to perish. Think about that. That puts a little more gravity on the judgment seat of Christ. That puts a little more gravity of why we are here. Folks, there are a lot of scary, crazy things on the horizon, but this, is probably, this might be one of the most exciting times to live as a Christian. What an opportunity. It's been said that, that the, the darker the night, you know, the brighter the light. And, and I think, I think that, is, that is very true. Um, looking for that blessed hope. See, it starts with hope, the hope of our salvation, but it finishes with hope. He is coming again. Folks, this is a book of hope from the God of hope. It's all about hope. And that hope, again, it's not, you know, this is not, you know, well, you know, I hope things work out. But, but, uh, but this is, God has said it, that settles it. Uh, it, it, is, it is a sure thing. I can place my hope in that. You know, some people have been disappointed about putting their hope in the stock market. People have been disappointed in putting their hope in Bitcoin. That one's kind of been wavering lately. Um, boy, I had an opportunity when it was like just a few hundred dollars. Uh, anyways, it's an eternal hope. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a hope that is, an eternal hope. We will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what all that entails, this glorified aspect. I don't know what it all entails. Um, but, uh, but, you know, we can, we, sometimes we look at, well, what was Jesus like when he was glorified? Well, he walked through walls, you know, he, he traveled very quickly. And, and you know, maybe we ha we'll have those attributes. I don't know what it is, but I'll tell you what, uh, the, the former things will be passed away. This corruption will put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. You know what that means? No more aches and pains. No more arthritis. I think I'm going to have a full head of hair. Um, 
Wow, we will be like him. It's an eternal hope. Peter speaks of hope. Paul speaks of hope. John speaks of hope. And, and that passage continues in 1 John 3, um, into verse 3. And it says, And every man that have this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Get that now. If you have this hope, if you believe that you're going to see Him as He is, then you ought to, it ought to motivate you, it ought to motivate us to purify ourselves. You see, the purifying of ourselves comes through the Scripture, the sanctifying work of the Word of God, the washing of the water of the Word. It comes through a real, genuine walk with God. It comes through a commitment to God. As God begins to change us and conform us and mold us, I just read, uh, finished reading. Uh, I don't know why it took me so long to read this book. Every time I started reading it, I'd get discouraged and walk away and stop reading it. But I finally finished the book, Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. It was written in the 50s, so it's taken me that long to read it. Um, boy, you want to be stirred. Now you'll probably be hear, hearing some quotes from that on Sunday mornings. But uh, i trying to remember one of the statements in there. You can't have revival and still have your sin, uh, keep sinning. And you're not going to keep sinning and have revival. D.L. Moody said, uh, either this book will keep you from your sin or your sin will keep you from this book. What I'm saying is, is everyone that has this hope purifies himself, right? We will see him as he is. And, and, and along the journey, we want to be as close to him as possible. We want to, we want to walk with him. We want to be a part of him. Uh, not, you know, not just one day you know, being caught. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, he's here. And are like, oh, no, I haven't lived for God yet. I haven't done something for him. And now he's here. See, there might be some things going on in our lives, uh, uh, some things in your life that, that we just might need to deal with. But we, we keep holding on to things, and, and we keep playing with these things too long. And it's time to put aside our pride and to set aside those things. Ephesians 4.13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. God already knows. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So might as well get real open and honest with God. Say, God, I need to start dealing with these things. Purge me. Cleanse me. This hope should cause us to long to see Jesus and be ready. Listen, I don't want to see Him coming. I don't want to see Him show up and coming as I'm sitting in the mud of my iniquity. Well, Lord, I, I had meant to walk with You. I had meant to finish my course with joy. The Bible talks about the judgment seat of Christ, that there will be some that will have nothing, yet they themselves will be saved yet as by fire. That's some of those guys sitting in the mud puddle of their iniquity. You know, um, I went and visited uh, Nick and Emily when they had their baby. And uh, one of the things, when you go to the maternity ward over there, you don't want to just show up after a day on the work on the, on the job, right? If you've been doing construction, and your hands are all muddy. It's like you probably want to go home and clean up. You're about to see this newborn baby who has not been exposed to the filth of this world yet, right? Unless it's Nick. Yeah. As soon as I started going down that road, I was like, I don't know if Nick's the right guy. <laughs> if we're gonna take care for like a baby. Like, like you have that baby, you know, and especially your first one, you're guarded with that. You know, can I hold your baby? I don't know. Have you washed your hands? <laughs> well, you want to hold the baby, so I'm going to go wash my hands. We take such care for something like that, and yet the holy, pure Son of God is going to come and take us, and we'll be like Him, and we'll be with Him. We've got to take care now. We've got to walk with Him today. <clears throat> It's funny when we start talking about this stuff. Well, well, Pastor, don't you realize I'm, I'm under grace? Be careful. Let's return the grace of God into lasciviousness. Because I'm not talking about salvation here. We know it's not of works of righteousness we have done. We know that we are saved by grace alone. But it's amazing. You, you know what's sad thing that, that's happened? 
we've made everything all about the gospel. Now, the gospel is the most important thing. But if we're not careful, we make everything about the gospel. Here's what I mean by that. Whenever we start taking a biblical stand on something, we we might think something, you know, we we might come across as, well, you don't think I'm saved because I do this? Well, I didn't say that. Well, you don't think they're saved because they believe in Calvinism? Well, we could debate that one. (laughs) Well, you don't think, you know, they're saved because of this, that, and the other thing? No, 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 we're talking, we're, we're beyond salvation now. That's what, that's what the, the writer of Hebrews challenged those believers. He says, he says, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of, Jesus, of, of the doctrine of Christ or baptisms, and he goes on and lists those basic things, um, baptisms and the and laying on of hands and the, and the judgment to come and so forth. Uh, he says, this we will do if God permit, but he said, let's go on to perfection. In other words, let's, let's, let's get past these, the milk of the word. Let's get past these baby things, and let's start, start digging deep. And so, but we, we like to make everything about that. And, and I think part of it is because, well, think about your typical Sunday morning in many Baptist churches. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it's just the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Now, I'm thankful for the gospel, and I'm thankful for anyone who gets saved from hearing the gospel. That's God's heartbeat. But folks, church is for the edifying of the saints. Now, there will be the gospel shared, and there should be an opportunity for people to get saved. You'll hear me give a gospel invitation. But if we're not growing in our faith so that we can be equipped to go out and get them, then what are we doing? So because of that, it's so shallow that we think everything is only about salvation. So since I'm not saved by works, since I know that I'm, not, I'm saved by grace, not of works, as soon as we start talking about works, doing something for the Lord, as soon as we start talking about the judgment seat of Christ, we get pushback. Oh, you're a legalist. No. I want to be ready at His appearing. Anyone that has this hope within himself purges himself. Or do you really think he's coming? Do you have the hope? See, I think some of us don't have the hope. We don't have the hope of eternal life. We don't have the blessed hope. Not saying you're not saved. <laughs> Let's fall into that trap again. But we don't really believe it. We believe the gospel. But we don't really believe that Christ is coming. We don't really believe that there is a heaven and there is a hell. One of the most convicting things I saw one time um, there's a uh, well-known atheist, and he said this. He says, I don't respect any Christian that does not proselytize. He's an atheist. You think an atheist says, Christians, leave me alone. Keep it to yourself. He said, if you really believe what you say you believe, then you are so unloving, uncaring, so hateful to not be pleading with every person you come across. Ugh. See, there we, there we go again. Lost people know how Christians ought to behave better than Christians know how they ought to behave. That's convicting. 1 Peter 4.13 But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad with exceeding joy. Folks, I don't want to be ashamed at His coming. I want to be glad with exceeding joy. Oh, my Savior. You know, it's amazing. There's actually not a lot in the Bible about heaven itself. I've said this before. Maybe I'm just dreaming. We think about all the beauty and all the pleasures in this world, this fallen world. I can't just help but think that God's saving the best for last. Eternity with Him. The new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. I think it's going to be amazing. But we have this hope of eternal life. <clears throat> uh, I we're going to dive into the, the center part of that, and I want to talk about the, the immutability of God, the unchanging attribute of God. Look at verse 2 again. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot change, I'm sorry, that cannot lie, excuse me, promised before the world began. A God that cannot lie. Now, keep in mind where they're at. Or, or who Titus is and where he's ministering. 
he's at a place that many of these people who have bought into the Greek mythology, and, uh, and it's probably even bled into a little bit of the Jewish believers and, and, uh, and uh, the Gentile Christians, um, it, it, it shapes you. The culture around you can, can kind of formulate some things. And so their view of God, a single God, may not be that far off of the chief god, Zeus, which is from Crete. And, uh, and by the way, even when I, was, uh, when I was in, I think it was the sixth grade, I was learning about Greek mythology. And even my unbelieving teacher uh, said, you know, well, Zeus, you know, the Christians have their Jehovah God, and Zeus, the same thing. <laughs> so, so it's very easy to say, well, he's the powerful one, and his, you know, his sign is that lightning bolt. And, you know, and, and, and so they can kind of have these equations, but, but they have this, 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 this uh, reservedness of the fact that, well, I don't know if I can trust Zeus. He breaks promises. He's a known liar. He's a womanizer. He's a trickster. These are the attributes of Zeus. So, so knowing that he's a liar, and by the way, that's also the, the, um, the way that Cre- uh, Cretans were seen, the occupants of Crete, they were always like, we're going to see that in, in, uh, later on in the text. They're all known as liars. So he emphasizes this fact. This is something that's given to you from a God that cannot lie. Think about that. A God that cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Excuse me. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall, it not be, not, shall he not make it good? For Samuel 15, 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Of course, strength is capitalized. God was being attributed as the strength of Israel. Israel. Hebrews uh, 6.18 That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. This God they cannot lie. Notice how that was connected with hope. James 1.17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is not going to change His mind. That is awesome. You know, it's amazing people try to debate the, the concept of uh, that maybe you can lose your salvation and whatnot. I'll tell you what, with all the scriptures that uh, talk about salvation, the worst thing is that that has to make God a liar. That makes God a liar. By the way, if you could lose it, would it really be eternal? We'll just leave it there. So if God said you have an eternal life, you can mark it down. God cannot lie. What a hopeful thing to share to this Titus who is going to this, uh, this island of, uh, of Crete with a bunch of people that are wavering and they're around a bunch of liars, they're around a bunch of thieves, and their main deity is a liar himself. And he says, wait a minute, our God cannot lie. He's all-powerful, he's coming again, and he gives you the hope of eternal life. How awesome is that? We see God is a faithful God. He keeps his promises. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself. He's not going to go against it. Think about the timeless nature of God's plan for salvation. How it even predates the creation of the world. Look at the last part there. Promise, this eternal life, this plan, this thing has been conjured. This is the master plan of God. Promise before the world began. You know, it's amazing. We're getting ready to have... a. Um, uh, sort of a uh, brainstorming session and, and lay out the, the vision for the next year and, the, and uh, put some things on the calendar. And, um, you know, I am not good at master plans. You know, if you were to ask me, what do you see to this property in the next 10 years? Well, I could dream, but I honestly can't give you a, a, a master plan. I can tell you, you know, it would be really cool to put a building over there and to, you know, put a ball field over there or whatever, but I can't give you the master plan. I'm just not wired that way. But it's amazing how God, in eternity past, He planned it all. He planned it all. 
He promised before the world began. Second <clears throat> um, Timothy one nineteen, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus. By the way, how was that given to us? His purpose and grace. It was given us in Christ Jesus. Here it is before. The world began. His purpose, His plan, given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. For all those who put their faith in Him, uh, there is a plan, a holy calling. Third thing I want to look at is the timing of God's revelation. Look at verse number three. But God hath in due time manifest His word through preaching, which is the committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Through preaching. Boy, uh, I'm going to try to hold back from here preaching there. Um, but God's word is manifest in due time. First uh, Timothy 2, 6, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Testified means to, be, to, to speak of it, to testify, to, to give a, a testimony, a word of testimony, to speak it, uh, to proclaim it, to preach it. That's God's plan. He gave himself ransom for all to be testified. Why did God give? Listen, our God did not have a secret ministry. Our God did not have a secret plan. He didn't have a secret death. He didn't have a secret burial. And he definitely didn't have a secret resurrection. It was meant to be testified. It was meant to be seen. It was meant to be proclaimed. I think about many of the religions in the world. That so much stuff was secret. You know, Joseph Smith. Well, I have these tablets, but I don't know where they are. Oh, and you need special glasses to read them. I don't know where they are either. Prophet Muhammad, so-called, he would have these seizures and his disciples would cover him with a sheet. And then when the seizures were done, he had the revelation from Allah. But he was illiterate, so he told someone else to write it down. And sometimes he said, well, God told me something, but I forgot what it was. You see, our God made things very public. When he had prophets, he sent them to places and to people to preach, to proclaim, to testify With the apostles, he didn't just say, guys, I want you to go and lock yourself like the the, the hermits of old. I don't want you to go to uh, lock yourself up in a cave and chisel out the word of God as I give it to you. He said, no, no, you will be actively ministering. How long did Paul minister until he finally wrote a letter that we have today? Decades. He says, you're going to serve and you're going to be refined, and you're going to follow me. And in front of all these people, you're going to give my word. It is to be testified. It is to be declared. The incarnation of Jesus was in due time. Galatians 4.4. 4. But with the full, when the fullness of time was come, when the right time, the right setting, the right circumstances, in God's perfect timing, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So we see the manifestation is in due time. Uh, the first manifestation I see here is the manifestation of His worth. What does it mean to be made manifest? To be made known, to be brought to light. The hidden things are made manifest, brought to light, to be seen, to be understood. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God who had a sundry times and diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's how it was made known back then. In the hath these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So we see at the time of the, the first century there, we had the prophets. God brought about His Son. And then, of course, the apostles began to carry that thing on. And uh, we have this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus, himself, Jesus Christ Himself, the chief cornerstone. What does that encompass? That's the Old Testament writings, the Gospels, and the New Testament writings. That is God's communication, His revelation, His manifestation of His Word to us. So God completed His revelation through the prophets, Uh, through the apostles, through Jesus Christ, closed the canon and gave us 66 books that we call the Bible today. God has manifested His Word to us. But how does He then manifest that Word outward? I love this. It's manifested through preaching. But hath in due time manifested His Word through preaching. Now we know that preaching uh, is the, the, the mechanism, if you would, by which God wants His gospel message proclaimed. But it goes so much beyond that. Now let me just say this. Salvation comes through preaching. Through preaching the Word of God. 
So the faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, Romans 10, 14, But how shall they hear without a preacher? 1 Corinthians 1, 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the, word, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. The gospel was commissioned to be preached unto all nations. And let me just say this. Yes, that includes the formal preaching that I'm doing right here today, if you want to call it that. Uh, but that also includes one by one, person by person, to to make manifest the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, through sharing the truth from one person to another. Uh, the word preaching simply means to herald. And folks, we have a message to herald. We have a message to share. We have a message from the Lord. Hallelujah. And that's given to all of us. But not only does salvation come through preaching, can I say growth comes through preaching. Again, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. That's why we are here tonight. Acts 20, 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the, all the counsel of God. That was Paul's testimony. Isaiah 20, verse 10, For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Expounding upon the entire word of God. Now let me just ask you this question. How much of this book really, percentage-wise, is simply the gospel? If we are to handle this whole book, God's given us this whole book, for all Scripture is profitable, then what a disservice we're doing if all we ever do is to go around preaching the gospel. I mean to believers. Now, again, I will preach the gospel to believers. Paul preached the gospel 15 chapters into 1 Corinthians. That tells me, say people need the gospel. But folks, there's so much more. God wants us to grow up into Him in all things. That we be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Listen, you can have the right gospel and still be all messed up in doctrine. So, so God's given us His Word, but He wants His Word to be made manifest, brought to light, brought to the forefront through preaching. As long as I'm pastor of this church, we'll be a preaching church. We'll be handling the Word of God. By the way, it's not just the act of preaching. It's manifest the Word through preaching. What are you preaching? You know, some people make a lot of noise, but that's not Bible preaching. Um, how important it is. John 17, 17, Jesus in His, in his uh, pastoral prayer, so to speak. He prayed to the Father and said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The whole word. Ephesians 4, 11-16. I love this passage. And he gave some apostles and some prophets. By the way, those are passed away now. They laid the foundation. Some evangelists, uh, which is outward reaching. Some pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. I get that now. Pastors and teachers. The word there is the idea of a shepherd... Uh, the, the verb form of the word that's translated as pastor is where, we, where uh, when Peter said, feed the flock of God. That's the verb form. So there's a feeding going on. Feeding what? Spiritual meat. So pastors and teachers, what is the, what is the, what is the, the, the meat that is being fed? What is the content that's being taught? It has to be the word of God. So he gave pastors and teachers to what end? For the perfecting of the saints, so their maturity, for the work of the ministry, so they can go out and serve God. For the edifying, the building up of the body of Christ. Till we come into the unity of faith. How long do we do this? Till we come into the unity of faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God. Unto a perfect man, a mature man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. How is it that you get so grounded that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness? The Word of God, you must know what you believe and why you believe it. Folks, it's not about just handing out weekly, here's our doctrinal statement. Here's what this church believes. And so you're challenged in the community, oh, what do you believe? Well, here's what our church believes. Why do you believe that? Because that's what our church believes. Folks, that doesn't help anybody. And I think we did a great disservice, especially the last generation, by having standards but not giving them biblical principles. And saying, well, we don't, we don't go to movies, and we don't listen to that music, we don't, and we don't do anything else but that. 
And so now you're just you're stuck in this system, like, you know, well, we don't want to do that, but I don't know why. And no wonder we have old generations saying, well, fooey on all that, I'm going over here. Because we have grace. By the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, what truth? Folks, it's not just, and though it may be applicable, it's not just saying, hey, brother, I'm going to tell you the truth. You're about to go off a cliff. You're, you're, you're headed for trouble right now. And that may be true. But, folks, if, if this is not the standard of truth, sanctify them today, truth, that word is truth. This is what I'm speaking the truth and love about. And, folks, let's not, let's not get mean about the Bible. Speaking the truth in love. May grow up into Him in all things. I love that word there, the phrase, grow up. That's what we need. We need some Christians to just grow up. In Him, in all things, which is the head, even Christ, whom, uh, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted, but that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Here's what happens. The end result of the Word of God being faithfully preached is a mature body that takes on the ministry of self-edification. It builds itself up. It meets those needs. It sees that there's nothing lacking because God has matured the believers and they see in light of their spiritual gifting in light of their, their walk with God and their, their, where they're at, they see where there are uh, areas that are left undone and go fill it. And they take care of one another and they see uh, where there are th- needs that need to be met and so forth, and it builds itself up in love. Where does that come from? Well, you start making convictions and you start developing things. Listen, standards for the sake of standards don't do any good. Um, standards as a measure of holiness don't do any good. There are churches, they'll have competitions almost, it seems. You know, not, not officially, but it's almost like a competition. Well, we have higher standards than they have over there, so they're, they're liberal or they're backslidden or whatever. But that's comparing ourselves among ourselves, and that's looking to one another and saying, well, you know, as long as I look more righteous than they look, folks, that's what the Pharisees did. That's like textbook definition of Pharisees. But we look to Him, and everyone that has His hope within Him purifieth himself. There's another passage. By the way, many times, Paul uh, to the Thessalonians, uh, many times throughout the Scriptures, whenever you see Christ coming, there's always a connection. So you better purge yourself. You better purify yourself. You better live godly. You better walk with Him. Folks, that's my motivation for having any kind of standard. But if I say I'm a good Christian because I don't watch rated R movies, (laughs) whoop-de-doo. You've missed something. I say, I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me. With the great command, grieve not the Spirit of God. And how dare I bring, drag the Holy Son of God through such filth. Therefore, I need to purify myself. I need to stay away from that which defiles I don't need to be thinking on those things, dwelling on those things, meditating on those things. So let's wrap this up. As we look at this, here's just a couple of thoughts of application. I think about the certainty of God's promise here, that it's a hope of eternal life, that God which cannot lie promised before the world began. Um, folks, that ought to give us some boldness. There is nothing I can do to make God change His mind. Think about that. There is nothing I can do to make God change his mind. But that shouldn't cause me to be, okay, well then I'll just, you know, like like Israel of old, go after the other gods. Why would you do that to a God who loves you so much that he'll never change his mind? See, like when the the Bible tells men, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. God's not going to change his mind. So if a husband so loved his wife like that, you better believe that wife's going to love to submit to that husband. 
So why are we so fleshly in our thinking? Well, how far can I go and still be okay with God? Why are you even thinking that way? We should flip it around and say, how close can I get to God? How much communion can I have with Him? How, how, can, I, how can I spend that sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer? Think about the certainty of the promise of God. Living in the hope of eternal life. Living in light of that. He's coming again. The, the hope of the fact that I'm saved, the hope that He is coming again, the hope that I'm secure. And folks, that ought to challenge us to preach the gospel with confidence. You see, this was, look at the last phrase there. Committed unto me, that's Paul writing, according to the commandment of God and our Savior. It was committed to Paul, but you know, it was also committed to us. This preaching of the, of the word. It's made manifest through preaching. That's committed to us. We saw that in Ephesians 4. Edifying itself together in love. You know what that means? Every one of us are called to be preachers. We have women preachers in our church. Did you know that? Because we're all called to be preachers. We're all called to declare the Word of God, to make manifest the Word of God. You have lost coworkers. You know what part of the Word of God you need to be making manifest to them? The gospel. You're a Sunday school teacher. You are a discipler. What do you need to make manifest to these people? The Word of God, the whole counsel of God, line upon line, precept upon precept. You go out and preach in the villages, young men, you preach both. You emphasize the gospel because there are a lot of lost people. But you also give something for the saved people to learn. We'll get into that a little bit more. We're going to be doing a homiletics class coming up, guys, so I'm looking forward to that. I'll let you know to be determined. Certainty of God's promise, living in hope for eternal life and sharing the gospel and the word of God with confidence. I hope that's challenged you this morning or this evening. Thankful for uh, the book of Titus. I really thought I was going to be flying through it a lot faster, but as I started dissecting each of these verses, I'm like, this might take a while, but I'm thankful for it. Appreciate you all being out. Let's have a word of prayer.